Well, hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, glad that you're here. My name is Todd. I'm the lead pastor. For those of you I don't know, really happy you're here today. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Joshua chapter 2. Uh, we are in our second week in our series called He Who is Mighty, and we're taking a look at these first three chapters of this amazing book in the Old Testament that really has so much to do with what God was doing uh, with his people, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, and what he is doing now here in our day and age, and uh, just amazing things. And I think there's a lot of parallels that uh, we can draw between what he was doing then and uh, what he was doing with Joshua and with some of the characters we're going to be taking a look at today and what he can do with us and what he's doing with our church specifically. And so I'm excited uh, about today and glad that you are with us today. Many of you know I love history, and um, I, my kids probably hate history because how much I love history. So I will often, like, you know, tell them a little historical fact. might not be accurate, but I'll give them some historical facts about something that's going on. And I remember a few years ago, uh, I, I, we were talking about different years and how there were, there were years and decades that, like, worldwide, there were, there were different struggles. And, of course, they're learning that in school. And um, I, you know, talked about the year that, that I was born was 1973. Any other, any other 1973-ers in here? Um, okay, like, there's three of us. So we'll, we'll have a small group uh, afterwards. <laughs> but uh, I remember t saying to my kids a few years ago, like, when you think about human history over the last 100 years or so, um, in terms of hope and future, 1973 kind of bottomed out. Like, we kind of bottomed out the year I was born. I mean, it, it was a tough year. Some of you were born before 1973, by the way. And uh, you remember 1973 was known for a few things, one of which was the oil crisis. You remember the oil crisis that was going on? The oil crisis, uh, terrorism was, you know, on the rise even back then, and maybe even especially back then, and uh, we were right in the middle of the Watergate scandal as a country. Uh, I remember uh, my senior year uh, getting chosen to do a paper on the Watergate scandal, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and so uh, I learned a lot about what happened with the Nixon administration uh, in those years leading up to 1974 uh, and, and 1975, right, you know, right about the time that he resigned the, the presidency. And there was one figure who was kind of a central figure in the whole Watergate thing. And you may know this name. His name was Charles Colson. Some of you know Charles Colson, Chuck Colson. He passed away back in 2012. Um, but uh, Chuck Colson was very much involved, along with Gordon Liddy and a few other, other names that you may or may not know. He was a central player in, uh, in, in the Watergate scandal. And in fact, he was one of the legal counsels to President Nixon. And in hindsight, we kind of know that and we kind of snicker a little bit about that. Like legal counsel to President Nixon, that went well. So uh, anyway, we, we think about that and we, we think about all that happened there. And, and Chuck Colson ended up turning himself in. He ended up admitting his guilt of obstruction of justice uh, and he ended up serving uh, what was supposed to be a three- to five-year term, and he ended up serving, I think, a little over a year. But he was convicted um, on my birthday uh, in 1974. But about a year before March 1st, 1974, um, he encountered Christ. And he had some friends that he met with, and he ended up accepting Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. 
And the thing that's amazing about Chuck Colson is that when he ended up being incarcerated, when he ended up being in jail, um, he realized God's work in, in, in his life and all that he had done for him. And, and instead of looking in the rearview mirror and lamenting about the, the things that he had done in the past that got him there, he realized God's going to use me right now, right where I am. And he started prison fellowship. And I would guess that over the years of that ministry and the years that it, uh, even now is, is going on, that there have been tens and maybe more than that thousands of people who have accepted Christ as their Savior because of a man who did some things that landed him in federal prison. And when you think about the story of Chuck Colson, and there are many more like that, maybe not as pronounced and as famous, if you will, in our day and age. Um, when you think about that story, you really think about the greatness of God, and you think about the might of God, and you think about the fact that he who is mighty, he used someone who had done illegal things and had, had, had given terrible counsel and was involved in one of the greatest scandals of the last hundred years in our society. And that just shows me, and I hope it shows you, that God can use every one of us. And he can use us because, sometimes in spite of our past, he can use us in spite of our sin. He can use us in spite of what we've done in the past. And in some cases, he uses us because of those things that we've done in our past. And today we arrive at the chap second chapter of the book of Joshua, and we are going to come to a character in the story of the children of Israel at this point in their history who was someone who was the least likely, the most unlikely person to be used that we could ever think of, I think, all throughout Scripture. Now, I love the stories of all the different characters in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to be starting a series in a few weeks uh, focused on the disciples, Jesus' disciples. And boy, there's a, there's a uh, ragtag group of, of, of people uh, that God used, sometimes in spite of their past. But in this story, God used this particular person, and even a group of people, but one person in particular, in a way that you never in a million years would have ever thought beforehand that she could be used for his purpose and according to his plan. But God used her in spite of that. And the person I'm referring to, and we're going to take a look at it, is, is a lady by the name of Rahab. And some of you may know the name Rahab. Um, Rahab was uh, used, and, and we'll see this in the story in a moment, um, she was used in a re remarkable way. But I, I want to kind of fast forward for a moment and, and tell you the end of her story so that you kind of uh, understand like, you know, where, where she, she ended up going so that we can understand the amazing, ridiculous grace of God in her life that he used her in this way. Uh, the, the Bible um, says uh, different, in different places in the New Testament um, references Rahab. Rahab was, was a harlot, and we're going to see that here in Joshua chapter 2. And some of you are like, uh, uh, Mom, Dad, what's a harlot? I'll let you explain that over lunch, and you can email me later. Okay, so anyway, so she, she was used, but she, she had this, this job, this, this background, if you will, that was really questionable. And in fact, her present was really questionable. And God used her anyway. 
He used her in amazing ways. In Matthew, we find out that this woman actually was in the line of Jesus. I, I, I want that, that to, to weigh on you this morning. That God chose to save the world through his son Jesus. And how he was brought into the world was from the, geneolo- the genealogy that included Rahab, this prostitute, this harlot that's mentioned in Joshua chapter 2. It's incredible to think about all that God did. Look at Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to go from verse 1 down to verse 5. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2 says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And if we skip down to verse 5, we see here, and and, uh, Salmon the, the father of Boaz by Rahab. There she is right there listed in the genealogy of the one who would save the world from our sins. Incredible. Later in Hebrews, we see the writer of Hebrews mention Rahab as a great person of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, by faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And I don't know about you, but I'm just stopped in my track. We, we may take that for granted, but like when you really stop to think about it, I'm stopped in my tracks to think, what, what was God doing using a prostitute? And I want you to see that he used her in two different ways. One was um, to to help the nation of Israel, to help the children of Israel go into the land that had been promised. Last week we left off kind of at the the end there of Joshua chapter 1 where Moses is now dead and Joshua is now in control and he's the leader and they are sitting right there on the Jordan River and they're looking over at the land that God had promised them and and God says you got to be strong and you've got to be courageous. And, And so then we kind of wonder, well, what's next? Well, what's next is Rahab. And so Rahab helped them, you'll see in the story, get to the other side. But the second thing that Rahab did, and we learn it here in Matthew and in Hebrews, is that God used Rahab to bring about the Savior of the world. So he used her in two redemptive ways. I love that God does this. I love that he does it throughout the Bible. But I love that he does it with you. And I love that he does it with me. But my biggest question is, how did we get here? How did we get here that God would use someone like this? And so what does that mean for us? Well, three things today. Uh, Who does God use um, when it's go time? I mean, here was the whole nation of Israel right there on the Jordan River. And last week we talked about the fact that there are two parts of God's plan. First and foremost, that his plan is really tied to his promises and his past performance in our life. There's his part of the plan. But the second part is that there's our part. And we have to be prepared when God calls us and when he says go. And I think we see a great example of someone here who, actually several different people who were willing and ready to go when God said go. The first thing that I think we can learn today is that you and me, we can be used by God first and foremost if we're willing I think that we can be used by God, first and foremost, when we're willing. Let's read the first eight verses of Joshua chapter 2 this morning. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. 
And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went, and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And I'll stop there for just a second. I, I, I don't know about you. I love spy movies. Do you, do you like spy movies? I like history. I've already established that. Like, my favorite movies are history and spy movies. I like sci-fi because my family likes sci-fi, but I would go to historical or historical fiction or, or movies that are, deal with espionage. I love that kind of stuff. And often, a movie will start just like verse 1 here, right? A spy movie will start with spies going to a place that they're really not supposed to be. Because, think about it for a second, if you want to find out information, you go to a place you're really not supposed to be in, right? And so these two spies from the nation of Israel found themselves there, not because some people have uh, kind of said that they were there for, for illegitimate reasons. They were not. They were there to find out what was going on in the land. And if you wanted to find out what was going on, this is the type of place that you would go to. Also, people have said recently in, in more modern age that the, the word that's used, prostitute, or maybe harlot in your version of the Bible, um, really meant innkeeper. But if in this day and age, if, if you were a woman and you were an innkeeper, it was the same thing. Okay, let's just make that clear. Verse 2 says this, And it was told to the king of Jericho, this great city, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, two men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. She was lying for the Lord here, okay? That was what she was doing. That's, well, that's a whole other message. Okay, verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them under the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. This was something that was done, uh, part of the custom of drying uh, things like grain and flax and different seed and vegetables. It was, they were put on the roof, and so that would have been natural. Verse 7, so the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she, talking here about Rahab, came up to them on the roof. Now, this is just the first part of the story, and I think it highlights the willingness of several different people. Now, don't, don't miss this. I love this. First and foremost, we already established last week that Joshua was willing to be used by God, right? He was used to lead the people. We have two spies that were willing to be led by the leader, Joshua, and they were willing to risk themselves to go into the land, not knowing what they would encounter. They took on a lot of risk. But Rahab in this story takes on a tremendous amount of risk, doesn't she? She takes on a tremendous amount of risk by getting involved in this situation, by bringing these men into the home, by, by you know, secretly hiding them up on her rooftop and covering them up with a flax, and, and, and then kind of spinning this story uh, to those who are looking for her. She gets involved in this, and she risks. 
And I think we see here in a few moments why she was willing to risk everything because she believed in God. But here's the point. She was willing to be used by God. Listen, church, there have been so many people throughout the course of human history who I would qualify as nearly perfect, who were never used by God because they were stubborn and not willing to be used by him. And then conversely, there have been people who were nearly to the point of being completely imperfect people that just believed that were used and willing to be used by God and God used them in a remarkable, remarkable way. And I think we have to ask ourselves the question, which one of those people do we most resemble? The nearly perfect person who has all the answers, who knows the Bible well, who, who really gets it like theologically, like you can answer all the Sunday school questions. You, can, you, can, you got all the right answers. You got all the right life. You, you, you live a righteous, God-pleasing life, but you're unwilling to be used by him. Or are you a little more like Rahab? Maybe you've got a past. Maybe you've got something that you're embarrassed by or you're ashamed of, but you are willing to be used by God. I think we have to realize that the first quality or first qualification to be used by God is first and foremost a willingness. What does it mean to be willing to go for God? Well, I think it means to be prepared first and foremost. We talked about that last week. I think it means to be available. When God says go, that we actually do do that, that we go, that we actually like act, that we actually execute what he's told us to do. And then the last thing is I think it, believe, I think it means that we're open. We're open to whatever he wants to do. Rahab, by getting involved in what God was doing, by getting involved with the children of Israel, she was putting herself and her family in particular in, in great peril. She was risking everything for God, as we'll see here in a moment. So what does it look like to be used by God? First is a willingness. Secondly, I believe that we can be used by God when we're qualified. And listen, church, I think this is where we as Christians and we as the church, capital C, have gotten this wrong over the years. We think that qualified might mean like, you know, like we do have all the answers or that we've had 20 years of seminary, which I feel like that some days. Um, and like, you know, like that we have like really got it down in terms of all the answers and that we've gone to the right school and that we've like, you know, checked the right boxes, that we had our devotions for 365 days in a row and like we like we're like super Christians I think that qualified to us sometimes connotates and draws up in our mind this this picture of this like you know buttoned up I want us to read these next few verses to see what I believe that God wants to show us from Rahab's life check this out verses 8 through 11 before the men lay down she came up to them on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites 
who, uh, who are beyond the Jordan to uh, uh, Shion and Og, uh, who you devoted to destruction, verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. That means they were moved. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. Now, what does this show us about who God would use? Well, I think what Rahab does here is, is regardless of her past, regardless of her present, regardless of who she was and her reputation, I think that she acknowledged who the one true God was. You see, church, her qualification to be used by God was belief. It was belief. Look at, look at verse 11 here, or excuse me, look at verse uh, uh, 9. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. For some of you, the word Lord there is capitalized, and you don't need to, like, reach out to Zondervan and tell them that they did a misprint there, okay? Like, uh, why is that word capitalized and the rest aren't? That was the word in the Hebrew language that was the, 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 the word that gave God the most honor. And, and so sometimes you'll see it capitalized there. It's the word that was most revering God. And she uses that word several times. Someone who wasn't a God follower didn't use that word. And she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And then check out verse 11. She says, as soon as we heard it, talking about the people there, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any of us because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God. You see, Rahab, the prostitute, the harlot here, she believes in her heart. And also, she confesses with her mouth that he is God. You know what Romans and the New Testament tells us many, many, many years later? Romans 10, verse 9, says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so here's what I'm saying to you, church, today, is that some of you have a past, and some of you are embarrassed about that past, and for some of you, you think it disqualifies you from being used by God for his redemptive purpose, and I want you to know today that that could be, that is the furthest thing from the truth. Qualified in God's economy means that you're saved. It means that you believe and I want you to know whether you're a Christ follower or not, whether you're here today and you know, maybe somebody dragged you here and invited you here. You don't even know why you're here, really. There's, like, lunch involved, so you just decided you come because there's food involved. That's cool. Like, what, it, wherever you are in, in your spiritual journey, you need to realize that if you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, at that moment, he wants to use you for his redemptive purpose. He wants to use you to accomplish the mission that we have here at our church to proclaim the message of Jesus and to lead people to follow him. And I believe if you're willing, and I believe if you're saved, that he can use you. If you've placed your faith in Jesus as your savior, you are qualified to be used by God. And the third thing that I think we can learn from this whole story 
is that we can be used by God first and foremost when, when, uh, you know, when we're qualified first and foremost, uh, or secondly, when uh, we are uh, willing to be used by God. But lastly, I think that we can be used by God when we have big faith in a big God. This story gets better from here. I'm going to read a selection of verses from 12 to 24. I love this. She, she goes to the men in verse 12, and she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with me, with my father's house. See, it does read like a Hollywood script, doesn't it? Like, I'm going to do this for you, so do this, you know, help me out. But there's a spiritual part to this. Because they respond with that. She says, please save my household, save my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters from death. And look at verse 14. And the men men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And, and then she let them, verse 15, down by a rope through the window from her, for her house was built into the city wall um, so, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have, have returned. So she was even giving them instruction on what they should do. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her in verse uh, 17, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us to swear. And, and it goes on to talk about the fact that they wanted her to put a scarlet cord in the window so that she would be saved. Skip down to verse, verse 22. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and they found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills passed over and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened. I'm sure Joshua was like, really? Did that really all just happen? All right, and they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord, what are those next two words? Has given all of the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This group of people had big faith in a big God church. They had huge faith that God would use them, sometimes because of their past, sometimes in spite of their past. They had big faith that God would use them. These two spies that went out had big faith that God would protect them and they were used by God. Joshua had big faith to be used by God, even though he was small compared to Moses. He kind of like, at that point in time, was kind of in the shadow of Moses. He had big faith in a big God. Rahab had big faith in a big God. And these two spies come back to Joshua, and they're like, hey, it's go time. It's time for us to possess the land that God has given us. And we'll read that story next week. But I love the faith that they demonstrate when they look at their leader and they say, this is it. It's time. It's time. It's time to go. And I wonder if sometimes we're unwilling to be used by God. I wonder if sometimes the thing that stops us from being used by God is our misconception that we're not qualified. Or perhaps that you're not saved and you are, you know, are, are, are not there yet. 
Uh, but then I wonder if sometimes we just have such small faith that God will provide. Listen, the story of, of he who is mighty is a story of the great people of God possessing the late, great land of God, but it's a story about he who is mighty first and foremost using his people. This place that you're sitting in today, this building and this land that God has allowed us to possess um, is an example of he who is mighty in the life of this church. A group of people who, who understood in the early days, going back to 2007, that uh, we, we were willing to be used by God, and we knew that we were qualified, and we had big faith that God would provide. I mean, I talked last week about the early days of Hilton Head Island Community Church, 2007 meeting in a, in a place that didn't have any air conditioning or little air conditioning and ceilings that were even too low for me. Uh, and, and like, you know, we, we had big faith that God would provide, and he provided in 2012 this building right here, and we've, we've got some video of this that's going to be playing behind me. And I, I want you to think about all that God has done just, not, not just in terms of our mission, but in, in terms of what God was doing with this very building that you're sitting in today. When we first saw this place, it was nasty, all right? It was a warehouse. It was used for, for holding yellow pages. There, you know, there were um, these, this kind of equipment all over this place. Um, it had roll-up door entrances. We don't have that anymore. That's a video of the, the room you're sitting in right now. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that insane? Like, that's, that's what it looked like. I remember having a prayer meeting um, one day in here, and we walked outside. That's, that's literally like where you're, you're sitting today. And we walked outside, and I had a few people um, come up to me, and, and they said, Pastor, um, this is amazing. I can't believe what God is doing. He's going to do great things with this land and with this building. And I had a few others go, you're crazy, Pastor. Are you nuts? It's a dump in there. It's gross. It's nasty. There's yellow pages that have been sitting there for decades. Who knows what else is in there? And they were right about that, and we got rid of all that. Okay, so like, they're, they're, I mean, it was nasty, guys. But God used it in a remarkable way. We, we did renovations in 2012 to get our student room, our backstage, which is right behind this wall here. And then in 2015, we got um, our, our, our kids' ministry area, our, our um, kids' ministry island kids up to speed. And um, God used so many people who were faithful, so many of you, to raise the money, to do the work. It was hard work, but man, we had so much fun. That, that, where that lawn is right over here that you're seeing right there, it, that was a concrete pad inside a barbed wire fence. And, and God has allowed us to take possession of this land to do his work. And church... I want you to hear this, Hilton Head Island Community Church. We've got some amazing days that are in our rearview mirror. But I believe our best days are right out in front of us. And in December of this year, he allowed us to be able to purchase Building B. Some of you have said, when are we moving out of this building over into Building B? That's not the way this is working. We're staying here. Building B is going to be where we have our community space, where we have some Bible studies, and where we have offices for the first time, centralized offices. But more than that, it is a front door out onto 278 in our community. And I believe that God has given us that to reach our community in a remarkable way. And I want to always keep our mission to passionately share his message and to lead people to follow him out in front of us, out in front of you. Because I believe that when we're willing, when we're qualified, and when we, as his people, have big faith in a big God, 
there's no limit to what he can do in and through us as a church. I can't wait to see what he does in the days to come. Some of you might be in here today and you walked in this room and you're like, Todd, I am the furthest person in this room today that can be used by God. You have no idea my past. And I want to let you know if your past is embarrassing or if your reputation is tarnished or if you're shameful about your story, God can redeem that. He did redeem it many times. And I'm standing here today, a person that's been redeemed. And I hope that your story and what God has allowed you to come to is a place where you can jump off from and allow him to use you in the future. Because there's no one who can use you like the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, and in this case, the God of Joshua. He who is mighty can do amazing things. And so church, when it's time, when the spies come back to us and they say, Hilton Head Island Community Church, it's go time. I hope that when it's go time, God will use us as a church. But we have to be willing, we have to be qualified, and we have to have big faith to see God use us in this way. It was Chuck Colson that in his very first book wrote this. It's not what we do that matters, but what a sovereign God chooses to do through us. God doesn't want our success. He wants us. My prayer is, is that you're ready to go when he says go. Father God, I thank you so much for everyone who's gathered here today. God, I thank you for this great story it's full of intrigue. Yes, it's a great spy story. It's a great story of what you were doing to allow your people to possess the land. But God, you set up your redemption of all of humanity when, through this story. And God, I'm thankful that I'm standing here today, that I'm one who because of that scarlet thread that Rahab used to indicate that this was the one who had been faithful. Because of that scarlet thread of what you were doing throughout history, you ended up sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross to save us from our sins. God, we thank you for that. I thank you for that. I thank you so much that those of us who are here today who have accepted you as our Savior, who have chosen to believe in you, and chosen to believe in Jesus to be our Savior, that we have the hope of heaven when we die. God, that's the real reason that you came. That's the real reason that you promised the land to the nation of Israel. God, thank you that we can see the story from the perspective that we have. But God, I pray for anyone who walked in here today and their past is riddled with things that they're maybe shameful of or maybe even a present that they may not think measures up. Or perhaps, God, they don't feel qualified. They don't feel educated enough. They feel like maybe um, their job is, is in the rearview mirror, their career is in the rearview mirror, and you don't have much left for them in front of them. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus right now that you would give them the faith to believe that you have something for them.
that you have a purpose and you have a plan. And God, when you say go, I pray that they would answer yes. God, I pray for those who walked into this room today and um, maybe they can't say that they're qualified because they've never put their faith in you. Father, I pray that they would do what Rahab did. I pray that they would believe in their heart and that they would confess with their mouth what you did by sending Jesus. And right now, if you're in this place, I just feel led to to pray this prayer out loud. And I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you want to find out more about God's plan for your life, and if you want to join in with what He is doing throughout the course of human history, I, I want to give you the opportunity right now to make that step, to enter in to eternity with Him when you die. And I'm going to say this prayer, and there's nothing magical or special about these words. What's important is your intent. If you want to become a Christian, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite you to quietly pray this or something like it in your heart to God right now. Father, thank you for making me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Right now, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I want to accept you, Jesus, to become my Savior. I choose to believe in you. If you prayed that prayer just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you. I won't embarrass you or anything, but I want to ask you, if you prayed that prayer, just to raise your hand for a moment so I can pray for you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hands all over the place. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for putting your hand up. God, I pray for those who just raised their hand. God, I pray that you would help ground them in your word. God, that you would help them to get involved in a church wherever they live. If it's here, love for it to be here. But God, I pray that you would help them to realize your purpose for them. And God, even in their, um, God, even their, in their imperfect state, God, you can use them. And I pray that you would. I pray that you would use each one of us who are in this place today. God, we thank you that you are the one who is mighty, and we give you praise for that right now. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people say, amen.